Okay, welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy Church Bible Study. It's 6.28 p.m., a couple of minutes early, and so let's go ahead and get started. And because my voice starts giving out at about an hour, we've shortened it down to a one-hour Bible study. When we had a group of people and I could rotate around the room, then going an hour and a half or even two hours, there was a time when we did a three-hour Bible study. Uh, but when I've got to do all the talking, then my voice starts giving out pretty quick. Didn't used to, but but then there's a lot of things. that <laughs> Didn't used to have gray hair. Didn't used to have wrinkles. You know, a lot of that thing. Anyway, so let's get started. First of all, Lord, you did say that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And we know that wisdom and might is yours. You change at the times and seasons. You remove the kings and setteth up kings. You giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You revealeth the deep and secret things. You knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with you. And Lord, we ask you to show us the deep and secret things. We know that we cannot understand your word without your Holy Spirit. We cannot understand just ink on paper or images on a screen without your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we ask you to show us the deep and secret things. Help us to understand what they mean for us now in this lifetime, also into the future, the things that you want us to do. Give us knowledge and skill in understanding and Lord, we worship you. We say, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee when thy judgments are made manifest. We look forward to the day that we see you at the marriage supper of the Lamb in our wedding garment. And see you brought before the Ancient of Days and given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. We look forward to seeing you crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in case you're wondering, I thought I'd put on a different shirt. I don't know if you noticed it or not. Probably couldn't help but noticing it. But I just get tired of the blue one that I think needs to be standard. Okay, I see some folks are jumping on now, so we've already prayed. And I'm going to do it a little different tonight. I've actually got a presentation that I've been working on for about the last two hours. And it's talking about, here, I'll start it. Oh, wait, 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 got to do this. It's called Two Revelations on Blood. And I can't remember exactly how and where the first revelation came to me. I was, I was explaining it at a church kind of on the side in the video room to a few people, and they were astounded. So I knew it's something that I need to bring to a lot of people. And so that's what we'll be covering, two revelations on the blood tonight. And it's going to be a PowerPoint presentation because I have to skip all over have to show you a lot of things, but I think you're going to shocked. I, I, I probably shocked. I think you're going to be shocked with some of the revelations that God has given us here. Okay, first of all, uh, what is a revelation? 
Well, Revelation, according to my definition, the ones that I've got, remember when I memorized the book of Revelation back in 2017, I got 30 revelations, two visions, and an audible voice. So based upon what I received, this is what I call it. It's knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us that may or may not be in the Bible. In other words, it's extra information. It may connect Scripture to other Scripture, or it may simply connect Scripture to worldly knowledge, as in just deeper understanding. And we're going to give you an example. You recall Luke 2, 7. She brought forth her first uh, her, her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. All right, now, only one place on the planet was designated as the place, that's the manger, which is actually an open trough where grain was poured in to feed the animals. So Jesus was actually put in a place where the animals get fed. And of course, he is feeding us. Where temple animals were born for sacrificing the temple. In other words, only one place on the planet, if he was the Lamb of God, and he was, he could only be born in one place. A, it had to be Bethlehem, but it had to be the specific place where sacrificial animals were born that would be sacrificed in the temple. Second thing is the newborn animal was always wrapped in strips of cloth in order to restrict their movement so that they would not scratch themselves, rending themselves unfit for sacrifice. Because if they had anything wrong with them, even a little scratch, they were no longer qualified to be a sacrifice, just like Jesus. He had to be perfect in order for him to be the Lamb of God. And then they were swaddled or restricted in movement. They were wrapped in strips of cloth. So it's not the cloth that was called swaddling clothes. It was simply strips of cloth. And by him being wrapped up so he couldn't move, was being swaddled. Swaddling clothes, okay? Now we jump to the next one. It is a Jewish tradition that when the marriage was to be consummated, in many cases, the parents, of, you're talking about a little embarrassing, the, the parents of both sides, the bride and the groom, would literally stand over the marriage bed and observe, <laughs> observe the consummation to prove purity. Now, I know that you kind of get a chuckle on this, but I want you to understand this is something really, really important for you to get the revelation tonight. You have to understand that then after the consummation was made and the blood hit the sheets, then the parents, both parents, would take that and put that on the door or hang it up near the front so all of the neighborhood knew that their daughter was pure. All of the neighborhood knew that the son had married a pure virgin. This is very important. Now, it wasn't always that the parents stood over and watched the act. But in some cases, because they wanted to make, I mean, both sides wanted to make certain that it was really the right blood and it really happened. I mean, look, because, see, if the groom were to say, well, you know, she wasn't really a virgin, phew, you can get out of the whole marriage. And so there's a lot riding on that little spot of blood. And that ties together with everything else I'm going to say tonight because Blood is really important. All right, now let's jump on to the next point. As you recall, 
Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now I'm skipping down. And then God came to him and said, what'd you do? He says, your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Now remember that. We're going to talk about that in just a second here. Um, then the next scripture is, life is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood to make an atonement for your, skin, your sins. It is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Now, what? Do you understand that? Well, I think some scriptures I'm going to show you in just a second will help you to understand that. Only be sure that thou eat not the blood, for the blood is the life. Hang on. There's more. And then when Jesus was crucified, uh, it was in fulfillment of this particular command. Leviticus 16, 14 said once a year that the high priest, and there's a long, and I'm going to skip all the long story about it, but the high priest killed two goats. The blood of one of the goats went into a golden bowl, was taken in only once a year on the Day of Atonement before into the Holy of Holies. And it says that the high priest was to take the bowl and dip his finger in the bowl and sprinkle it before the mercy seat seven times. But I want you to notice right here, see that word eastward? It was eastward. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was dripped on the west side. This is the east side seven times. So if Jesus really was the Lamb of God, he had to fulfill that covenant. He had to fulfill that law. His blood had to drip on the Ark of the Covenant, except it dripped on the west side seven times. There was actually a pool of blood, but it had to drip there at least seven times. All right, now let's go on. For he, Now this is uh, answering the question, does blood record our sins? Well, there's not a scripture that specifically says your sins are recorded in your blood. But I'm going to show you some scriptures that certainly hint to that. And that's going to tie into the whole place I'm trying to go tonight. Okay, so 1 Samuel 9.15. He says, uh, He put out his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore, then wilt thou sin against innocent blood? Okay, the way that's worded is, He's saying that sin is recorded in the blood. Then you jump to Ezekiel. The same man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will require at thy hand. He didn't say directly that the blood is kind of like a recording device. I don't know exactly how that works, but God knows. Okay, But apparently some kind of like a recorder, and it records our sins. Our blood records our sins. That's the point I'm trying to make. I cannot say absolutely. I cannot point to a book, book, chapter, and verse that says blood is the recorder of our sins. But I think with these are the scriptures, you'll say at least it's a high probability, okay? And then Jesus said, Verily, rarely I said you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, why is it we have to drink his blood? Well, what does he mean, drink his blood? Well, he just commanded us not to drink blood of anything. We're not talking about literally drinking. He's talking about communion. This is a New Testament in my blood. That's when he poured the grape juice, or in those days it was wine, and they had unleavened bread, and that represented his body and his blood. So he's saying that 
unless you drink his blood. In other words, if you accepted him, unless you've asked him to forgive your sins, you have no life in you. Now, it did not say that blood is the recorder of that sin, but I think you'd agree it's sort of hinting at it. Let's go on. Then there's the scripture. Matter of fact, this word blood guiltiness only appears in one scripture. That's it. You're looking at it. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Blood guiltiness? See how it is sort of hinting that apparently our blood is actually a recorder of our sin? Okay, let's go on. Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood. Okay, guilt of innocent blood. Wait a minute. Uh, you mean the blood can be innocent? Well, it, yes, it says so. So if the blood can be innocent, it can also be guilty, just like the other scripture, blood guiltiness, okay? Thou shalt put away the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. And I think that's the reason abortion, among other reasons, is wrong. Because when we allow innocent blood to be spilled in our nation, it brings curses upon our nation. I don't see any of the Christians out there with signs that saying you're bringing innocent blood down on our heads and you're bringing a curse on our nation by abortion. Let's go on to the next one. Deuteronomy 21.8. Be merciful, O Lord, unto the people of Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood should be forgiven them. Again, it's not directly saying it's the recorder of the sins, but it certainly has a lot to do with it. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you. Now, all of that still did not say it's the recorder of sins, but it certainly has something to do with it. Let's go on. Next question. Does blood record our sins? Well, that is the kind of thing we're trying to point out here. If you skip down in here, it says, And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in this, talking about America. And the voice of the bridegroom and the voice shall not be heard no more at all in thee, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth, and for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her, meaning America, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all that were slain upon the earth. What's it talking about? It's saying that America really is the wall that's supposed to be holding back evil from attacking the rest of the Christians around the world. We really are supposed to be the city of light shining on the hill, shining the gospel around the world and taking care of the world. And we have fallen, has fallen, has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And so God is holding us responsible to see that the world stays in order. So when I hear people say, well, why, why, you know, why, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to go over there and take it? Why do we, we're not the world's policemen. Actually, yes, we are. And I can recall times when I did. I actually said that one time. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Jesus must put his blood on the wedding garment and Ark of the Covenant. Now we're getting close to the revelation, the first revelation. John 20, 15. Jesus said unto a woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be a gardener, said in him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. Okay, okay, that's the point. 
Why did Jesus say to Mary, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father? Why? I think I'm going to be able to show you scriptures because he had not yet ascended to his father to take his blood and drip it on the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. Yes, there's one in heaven. The Bible also says there's one in earth. So his blood not only had to drop on the mercy seat or on the Ark of the Covenant here in order for him to fulfill the Levitical covenants, but he also had to go to heaven and drip it on the Ark of the Covenant there, and, 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 and he had to put one more place. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask all the world, where else did he have to take it? I guarantee you there's probably not more than one or two people get the answer right. Because, again, this is one of the revelations. And that is he had to drip it on his wedding garment for the day of his wedding, his coronation, the day that he's brought before the Ancient of Days and crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the day that he changes from lamb to lion, from prince of the kings of the earth to become the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's when he's brought before the Ancient of Days and he's given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed, that all people, nations, and languages should serve and obey him. And that's the first time we get to see Jesus. And I'm going to show you the verse here in just a second. That's the reason. That's the first revelation. Touch me not, for I'm not ascended yet to my father. His blood not only had to be on the Ark of the Covenant, but it had to be on his wedding garments. What? Why? Okay, well, wait a minute. Going back to the marriage bed, the consummation, the blood showed purity. His blood on his wedding garment shows purity. And his blood on that wedding garment is what he wears when he returns for Armageddon to destroy all of the tares on the earth. Now, I'll show you scriptures. Hang on. Let's go on to the next one. Blood washes sins away. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him have loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's why his blood's on the Ark of the Covenant and on his wedding garment, because it shows his purity, just like the consummation of the wedding. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, meaning the seven-sealed book of Revelation 6.1. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals there, for thou wast slain as redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true to us, and not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Who is that? Those are the people that were the martyrs that were killed for the name of Jesus. But notice it says, avenge our blood. In other words, their innocent blood, not that they were innocent, but is that they had been had their blood covered with the blood of Jesus. And as a result of that, they were pure. So he says, how long, O Lord? And of course, it goes on to say, white robes are given to every one of them. It's told to them that they should rest yet for a little season till their fellow servants. And there are brethren that should be killed as their words should be, should, should be fulfilled. But I didn't put that on there, so let's keep going. 
And one of the elders answered, saying, What are these arrayed in white robes? Whence came they? Okay, this is the first time we see Jesus. In this is we, by the way, this is not a glorified body. We only get a wedding garment. That's all we get at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then four months later, when Jesus returns, when he blows the morning star up, that's when everybody gets their glorified body. Until then, we're in some kind of a body, but I don't know what it is. It's not the body we have now, but it's not the glorified body. Anyway, one of the elders says, What are these arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? He says, Sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes. What robes? Wedding garments. Washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. Why? Because they're at the wedding. And by the way, if you don't go to the wedding, how can you be the bride of Christ? So there's a lot of people that teach, oh, well, if you accept Jesus, then you're the bride of Christ. Wrong. Because those that were ready went in. The ones that were not ready did not get to go. That's the reason it says, in uh, Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Their works do follow them. Their labors follow them. But they didn't get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Therefore, they're not the bride of Christ. Look, if you don't go to the wedding, you're not the bride, okay? Mm, that's the way it works. Therefore they before the throne of God and serve him day and night as temple and he that sitteth upon on the throne shall dwell among them. Now let's go there. I'm, we've already made one revelation. Let's get to the next one. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, hang on. When I was memorizing the book of, of Revelation, uh <laughs> I wasn't, sure, I wasn't sure I could get all the way through it. Um, so I thought, okay, I, I need a middle spot. I need a middle spot, you know, to like motivate me. Okay, I did half of it, did half of it, but I can do the other half. So I took all of the text and I took all of the, like the revelation and all the numbers out. So it was just text. That's all it was, just text King James. And then I put it into a Word document and then back and forth, back and forth, I figured out where is exactly, I'll even show you, uh, even exactly the middle of the, the, the book of the Revelation. Why? Because the middle of a scripture tells the, the primary meaning of that scripture. The middle word in a chapter tells the primary meaning of the chapter. And the middle of the word in a book tells the most important meaning of that book. Well, Here's where I wrote down Revelation chapter 12. Hopefully you can hear. Let me jump to this so you can see the thing. We'll come back to this. Okay, there we go. This is Revelation 12. And as you can see right there where it has that big red X, and it says, let me get it going here. And prevail not, neither was a place found any more in heaven, and the dragon was cast out, that old serpent, the, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he's cast out into the, and his angels are cast out with. Okay, so that is the center of the text of the book of Revelation. Now, let me jump back at this here. And if I can do this right. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Okay, so 
the great dragon was cast out because I thought the book of Revelation was, you know, the primary purpose of it was to show the return of Jesus. No, it's to show the defeat of Lucifer. Defeat meaning he's cast out of heaven. That's the primary point of the book of Revelation. That was another revelation, and I'll pass that revelation on to you. Okay, so anyway, I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? Because Lucifer has now been kicked out of heaven. Let me also say, there's a very confusing point, and I'm not prepared to go into all the scriptures and prove and everything why I say this, but there's actually two wars in heaven. One war in heaven was where Lucifer and his angels and his tail drew a third part of the stars and did cast them to the earth. That's where Lucifer tried to convince all of the angels to come with him, but only a third of them did, and they fell. Now, that means that apparently they got some kind of another body other than what they had before. They got some kind of a a demon body. I mean, that's when Lucifer became... um, like a snake, and that was part of it. That wasn't exactly the same time, but it was kind of like that. A lot of them got different bodies. Then, in the middle of the tribulation, Lucifer is totally kicked out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It says Lucifer's kicked out. Yeah, well, his angels are, but this is the scripture here. It says he was cast out, and he was cast out in the middle of the tribulation. Ah, Let me show you. Let me show you. I'll have to back up to show you that. How are we doing on time? Yes. Okay, well, I'll try to get it in. And there was war in heaven. So this is the second war. Michael's angels fought in the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, prevailed not, neither was a place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. And the power of Christ for the accuser of her brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him, this is the point, there's the reason I bring it up, by the blood of the Lamb. Meaning, they had the blood of the Lamb, they stayed under the blood of the Lamb, that's how they could overcome him. So even though there's going to be a lot of attacks, probably most of us will have the opportunity to deny Jesus. But because we're covered in the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome him. By the way, it says they overcame by the word of their testimony and they loved their lives not unto the death. I do not think that that necessarily means in order to be an overcomer, you must die for Jesus. But I do think it means that you must be prepared to. In other words, if you're never approached to die for Jesus, but you were willing to, uh, I think you still get it. But not to worry. Most of us Christians, if we reach that point, we will probably wind up dying for the name of Jesus, and that's okay. Okay. Now, what is the difference between the wheat and the tares and the grapes? Okay, this is going to be important for you to understand the next thing we're going to get to. Okay, so the wheat, where it says, uh, and the third angel, he had a balance in his hands. I heard a voice out of the, 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 the temple say, measure of wheat for a penny. That's one measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see that hurt not the oil and the wine. I believe that's saying that out of the four, if you're all of the people saved in the tribulation, 
that three-fourths of them will be Jewish, one-fourth will be Gentiles. We know that wheat represents Gentiles. We know that barley represents the Jews. And if you get my book, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, it explains that. But here's the difference between the wheat and the tares. See, tares grow among the wheat. And I explained that a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go into details there. I'm running short on time. Um, whereas wheat does not grow in a vineyard, and grapes do not grow in the wheat. Wheat, the tares, or excuse me, the wheat, and the grapes don't grow together. Now, there is tares among the wheat, but in the grapes, there's no wheat. So it's saying that a grape nation would be like, you know, maybe, uh, oh, let's see, um, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, China, where there's just almost no Christians at all. That's what you would call a grape nation. Whereas America, you'd call us a wheat nation because there are tares among us. And when we started, Dimitri was told we were started as a Christian nation. But we allowed immigrants to come in. And we allowed them to bring in Buddha and the Sodomite church, the Mormon church, and all kinds of wickedness, said the angel to Dimitri. But the point is, wheat is represented by Gentiles, Christians. Grapes are the nations that have almost no Christians in them. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the next one. Jesus gathers sinners for Armageddon. This is the battle of Armageddon. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now, that's when we get our white horse, is when we return with Jesus, coming from the marriage supper of the Lamb on the Feast of Trumpets. White horse, he that sat upon him is called faithful and true and righteous, and he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many grounds. And he had a name written which no man knew but he himself. Here it is, here it is. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. He hasn't reached America, or hasn't reached the earth yet. He is just coming out of heaven. He's already got a garment on dipped in blood. What blood? His blood. Where did he get it? When he left Mary in the Garden of Gethsemane some 2,000 years ago, when he went up and dripped it on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven and also dripped it on his garment for his wedding. That's the third revelation I'm bringing. I don't promise to bring two. You're getting three of them. So that's a great deal. Okay. So that's big stuff. And the armies which are in heaven falling on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. What is the fine linen, white and clean? That would be the wedding garment. That shows we're not in our glorified body yet. We do not have all of our crowns, our mantles. or We're not in our eternal body or our eternal garments yet. We are only coming from the wedding garment, or from the wedding feast. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. What did we call that? That's called the morning star. Remember, the Bible says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works to the end, the same will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of a potter, they should be broken to shivers, that's ashes, even as a received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. That's the morning star. So God, the Father, gave Jesus the morning star. When does he get the morning star? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. He does not have it now. He's not in full glory. He is in his Lamb body, even as we speak. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that he got at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
that it should smite the nation, that with it he should smite the nations. And he should rule them with the rod of iron. What does that mean? That means that the nations that didn't receive Jesus, but they didn't take the mark of the beast either, they're told, okay, you can live. You may not tell them that you, they'll only live a thousand years, but that's all they'll live. But you can live, but if you break any of the laws, then one of these guys over here, Morning Star Judge, is going to show up at the speed of thought, hit you with the Morning Star. You'll fall to the ground, a pile of ashes and bones, destroying both body and soul. With it, he should smite the nations. He should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress. Notice that word winepress. That's going to be important. Treadeth the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he had on his vesture, what vesture? The one with his blood on it. And on his thigh, meaning here and down on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And where did he get that? He just got that at the marriage supper. We saw him get crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if we were ready. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and men that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So he's calling all of the fowls of the earth to gather together for his supper. He just came from the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he's now given the earth a supper, all of the fowls and the beasts of the earth. I'll show you another scripture. A big supper. All of the Russians and all of the tares, all of the grapes. He's gathered them all to come down and attack, and that's when he destroys them. Now let's jump to Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is talking about the Russians and all of her buddies coming down to attack Israel. This is Armageddon. This is the day Jesus returns on the Feast of Trumpets. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and every beast of the field. So it's not just the, the, the birds. Assemble yourselves and come together unto every side to my sacrifice. Okay, so... He was sacrificed 2,000 years ago, dripped his blood to show purity. Do you see how the marriage bed confirms that? To show purity when he returns, because there's no sin in him. Beasts of the field, assemble yourselves together and come at every side to my sacrifice. That is a sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice. On the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Why? They're drinking the blood of the sinners. And you shall eat flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, rams, lambs, and goats, and bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you be full and drink blood till be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. So he just came from the marriage supper of the lamb, and now he's bringing the earth a sacrifice. And I will set my glory among the heathen. What does that mean? That's the morning star when he goes... Among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I've executed my hand that I've laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall finally know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. Now let's jump to the next one. <clears throat> and I saw the beast. This is Armageddon. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse in his army. And the beast, that's the Antichrist was taken with him the false prophet that brought miracles before them with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and then that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone. 
And the remnant were slain by the sword of him that sat on the horse. What's the name of that sword? It's the, it's the morning star. Slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, let's talk about the two angels that slashed the grapes. In one of the uh, Power of Jesus Crusades, I had one of the brothers come up. He's probably watching tonight. He says, I understand about the morning star and how it turns people to piles of ashes and bones. But how is it then, if it turns everybody to ashes and bones, how is it that the blood rises at horse bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs? And I smiled back and I said, you know, I have the answer. He said, I suspect so. So I began to explain him these verses. So here's the other ones. These are the ones that slash the grapes. Jesus burns the tares, those that should have been Christians but did not choose him. These are the people that pretty much never heard of Jesus or never had the opportunity to receive Jesus. They're the grapes. And I'd like to behold a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like under the Son of Man, it's not Jesus, having on his head a golden crown, his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat upon the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him, uh, cried in that sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gathered the clusters of the vine, as in grapes, okay, vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And here comes another revelation. I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to tell you, see if you can get it. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress even under the horse bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Okay, here's the question. And if you get it right, stick it over in the comment areas. Okay, see if you got it. Here's the question. See if you can get it. And the wine press was trodden without the city. Why was the wine press trodden without the city? And blood came out of the wine press. Why did blood came out of the wine or come out of the wine press? Why? Why did this? Why does it say without the city? That's my question. So we'll see if anybody gets it. Okay. And uh, Sean's watching. So if somebody gets the, the answer, then I'll come back and give you the answer here in a few minutes. Somebody got to remind me. I'll probably forget. Okay. Jesus' blood was shed. <laughs> Here's the answer. Here's the answer. <laughs> Forgot that I put the answer there. Jesus' blood was shed at the wine press outside the city because... Jesus will shed the blood of his enemies outside the city at the wine press. In other words, the answer is where Jesus' blood was shed when it fell off the cross, he will bring his enemies down some 2,000 years later and shed their blood on the same ground. He's going to bring his enemies down or he's going to kill them in the moment, in a twinkling of eye at the last trump, when they come down to attack Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, 
he's going to put their blood, their guilty blood, on top of his innocent blood. It's kind of like in the days of Moses, the reason he was put into an ark and put into the Nile and floated down is because it was commanded all of the boy babies out of the age of two were to be killed in Egypt. Well, about one generation later, some uh, 70, 80 years later, the Pharaoh, that same Pharaoh that, of course, because he's Pharaoh's son, was not tossed into the water. Then God brought Pharaoh and the 600 chariots down and drowned them in water in the Red Sea. In other words, God said, you killed my people by drowning. Now I kill you by drowning. And in this case, Jesus' blood was shed at the wine press outside the city. So he's going to bring the Russians and all the evil people down and shed their blood at the wine press outside the city. Okay, I think that's about three revelations of right. I didn't think to bring you that many. Okay, now, a couple of things i got to point out here. This is a drawing of the likeness of what the real Ark of the Covenant looks like. Let me point out a couple of things. Ron Wyatt said the top, which this is the top here, the covering, the lid, is made of about 600 pounds of solid gold. My guess is it was probably 24 karat gold. This is the seat of the chair. See, when this comes down, it actually forms a chair. It's God's throne on the earth. The poles went in and they were never taken out. Then inside here is where he said he found the Ten Commandments. This is another drawing of it. His blood was on the mercy seat westward. And the, he said, the Bible says it's uh, two wings. You can read about that, what it says there. Anyway, that's two cherubs, two angels. It's a different kind of a drawing of it. And another, so you can see here, it's, it's, it's a chair. It's the throne of God. And that's the reason the Antichrist wants to sit on it, proclaiming himself to be God, stopping animal sacrifice and saying, look, you got to stop this animal sacrifice because I am God. I'm here. You don't need to sacrifice. I am God. Okay? Now, another scripture is going to tie a lot of this together. A lot of people say, well, if we're coming back behind Jesus, he's on a white horse, we're behind white horses. The Bible also says the armies which are in heaven. Do we have to participate in the fight to destroy the battle or the, the people, the armies coming down to attack Israel? The answer is no. Here it is. I have trodden the wine press alone. No one helps Jesus. The only one that does any fighting is Jesus. He uses the morning star and the other angels. I showed you the scripture. They have sharp sickles that slash the grapes. He burns the tares. They slash the grapes. I've tried the wine press alone. And the people that were that uh, people there was none with me. For I will tread them. Now we're with him, but we're not with him in terms of destroying anybody. For I will tread them in my anger and trample in my fury, and their blood, there you go, shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all of my raiment. So that blood, just like in the marriage consummation, is hung out front to show purity. Jesus puts his blood on the wedding garment, which is now 
what he's wearing when he returns to show his purity, and he satiates. He, he is probably covered with blood when he gets done killing all of his enemies. Armageddon, Deuteronomy 32, I like what it says this here. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance. Now, you see that word vengeance? Almost every time that appears in the Bible, it is almost always talking about Armageddon. One event, one word, one event. I will render vengeance to mine enemies and reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows, that's the morning star, drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, turn it to powder. And with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of the revenges on the enemy, rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful to his land and to his people. So this is a picture drawn of what we're talking about. So Jesus here on the cross, the sword went in his right side, I believe, came down the left side of the cross hole or the right side as we look at it, went through about 20 feet of rock, dripped on the Ark of the Covenant down here. The Ark of the Covenant was in a stone box. The stone lid managed to break, allowing it to drop on the mercy seat westward. Well, here's another drawing of it. And here's another drawing. So over here was where his body was laid. He was crucified like this. The blood ran down the crack, dripping on the Ark of the Covenant. This is Ron White picturing him coming in into it and how he found the Ark of the Covenant. This is a stone that actually covered this uh, the, the, the tomb. And when it rolled to the right, it stopped on an embutment, right? Excuse me, right there's the embutment it stopped on. I've got other pictures, but yeah, I'll, co I'll cover that maybe on Easter. Anyway, okay, so <clears throat> how are we doing on time? Okay, we got about 14 minutes. All right, let me jump back here. And see, did I not show you those last few slides? Yeah, I hope I did. I might have. I might have skipped those slides. I might not have showed you that. Yes. If I did, I will see if they can edit and put in those slides as I read them. Okay, so. Uh, there's nothing in the private chat that Sean has sent me. Is there any questions or comments? <laughs> Some guy says, I think my wife is Lucifer. Okay. Sad, sad, sad. So many Christians. Such a mean heart. A mean heart. A lot of mean hearts. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop early then. I thought I would probably have to rush to get it all through. And... Uh, Maybe I didn't. 
Anyway, so let me pray a blessing for you. Lord, these people that have stuck with me, not only tonight, but in, in other meetings, uh, Lord, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to bless them, press down, shaking together and running over. Speak to them. Be one of those people that is a lamp under their feet and a light under their, uh, their path. Be that voice behind them speaking and saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Hear their prayers and let them hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us all meet at the marriage supper of the Lamb and rejoice together. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, the first words we say is salvation to a God who sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb. That's the first words we say when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I started to do a teaching on the marriage supper of the Lamb, but this is this is what came to me. So anyway, I guess I'm going to wrap it up. Only 45 minutes tonight, maybe 50 minutes. And uh, so far as I know, I'll be on next week. And oh, here's one thing, one thing I did want to show you. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. If uh, if you have not already subscribed, then we would ask you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And also, you might consider joining Prophecy Club. And you join by $9.90 a month or more on an automatic monthly payment. Jason uh, had a dream, Jason Meeks, and said that we need to start doing this uh, so that Prophecy Club would be able to make it through some of the hard times that apparently are in the process of hitting now. So if you love Prophecy Club, subscribe. And if you're uh, able and you want to be blessed, you want to share in the souls that God is going to give us, which he said would be thousands upon thousands, then we invite you to join Prophecy Club $9.90 a month on a regular monthly setup. And you can do that by going to prophecyclub.com. God bless you and see you next week.